we are starting, as you know, our series this morning on taboo. God created us all as sexual beings. That's not news to us. Uh, our sexuality is part of God's creation and God's gift to us. But all of us are in a struggle in this broken world, in the struggle moving from sexual brokenness toward sexual wholeness. And God is the one who enters into that journey. And he's spoken to Pastor Charlie and Pastor Jared about uh, leading us in this series that we think is very important and which we'll be exploring exactly how God does that. We're up here this morning as an, as an elder board because we want to ex- just express publicly our admiration for the courage and for the humility of our two pastors as they begin this, this series. Um, I admire their humility because they talked with us as church leaders extensively over the subject. They sought wisdom. They sought prayer. And we're here up here this morning not to just say that uh, we're behind them. We're with them. And so we're going to look to the Lord this morning to speak to us as a church. And I'd ask you to uh, pray uh, with us as Tom leads us in prayer. Heavenly Father. You are great, and we are greatly in need of you. We just ask your blessing on Charlie and Jared over the next few weeks. Speak through them, protect them, guide their teaching. Let it be sensitive yet filled with your truth. Open our hearts to these messages for our own needs and for the needs of our brothers and sisters so that we may help them. Grace be upon those who speak and those who hear your word. Amen. On a side note, as we begin, we've, we've really just valued so much, both Jared and I, the, the compassion and the consistent prayers of our leadership team and our elders, uh, but, but you should also know our wives. <laughs> They've been a part of this journey with us and uh, 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 invited in to, to provide some, some necessary wise counsel, and so we've just been so grateful for the Lord's provision. So let me see if I can set this up as best as possible. The question I imagine for many of you on your mind, which is kind of the same way with us, is why? Like, why even consider starting a series such as this where you're dealing with really, really messy issues such as pornography and sexual brokenness? And so I want to start off by answering that question. And for me, it's, it's twofold. One is sin grows in darkness. Um, there's a sense in which, for many of us, um, sin has a level of shame and weight and guilt that captivates us and, and really ends up uh, distorting the truth of who we are, affecting our identity, and, and also pushing us into this place where we feel increasingly isolated and increasingly lonely. And here are some of the vocabulary that would exist in the conversation about sexual brokenness, Right? No one understands, no one knows how it feels, or if I say anything, they'll judge me. That's a weight that many of us carry as we think about uh, dealing with sin and, and really even the implications of sin in that regard. So that's one, is that I feel like there's this heaviness over the topic, specifically in a culture where we've normalized the reality that pornography is just what people do. Secondly, and I think this is even uh, as poignant, um, is that often when churches or good, God-fearing, Bible-believing followers of Christ talk about this subject, it induces more shame 
and more guilt. The church can often come across as very uh, judgmental and rigid. So we talk about restoration, we talk about redemption, but we do so with the context of um, somehow feeling a little bit superior, that our story is, is not as dramatic or we don't struggle with those things or you're less of a Christian if you do. Um, and so what ends up happening when you deal with these subjects is it's kind of this drive-by of guilt and shame. And so we are so convinced that the scriptures give us a very different narrative. One, freedom. We believe that the Bible communicates that this just isn't the way that it is. And we don't really have to live like this with this thing of just saying, well, the only way that I'll experience freedom from sexual sin and pornography is, is when I'm dead. Uh, and yet it, sometimes it feels that way. And, and the Holy Spirit is more powerful than pornography. And we want to communicate that. And we're going to even share a bit about our story in the context of those things. And secondly, Galatians 6.1, I want to set is kind of a, a rhythm for really what, what Jared and I are hoping you hear. So there's a danger in this conversation. And the danger is, is that we would make you feel worse about yourself and you would hide. And that would be the worst scenario possible. Um, and so what we want to do is communicate the reality of how we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit and really as a community of faith walk through these things together. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's what we want you to know. We are in we want to walk through this, not as those who have all the answers or have figured out life itself, but who are willing and counted a privilege to partner with the struggles together so that you know that you're not alone, that you understand we want to carry this burden alongside of you, and that the power of the gospel is greater than the power of any said sin, even the sin and darkness that pornography offers. What would you add to that, or even how would you help yeah, I feel like we've already given like nine disclaimers as to why we're talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, in a lot of it, you, uh, hopefully you can get a sense for where we're coming from that it, it does feel in some ways taboo. And I don't know how many people that brings to mind like the party game with the buzzer. <laughs> um, but it is this idea of like we, we typically talk about this topic in ambiguity. You know, if, if you're talking to someone like, oh, yeah, lust has been tough lately. You know, we, we kind of skirt the edges of what's going on, but, but we're also, I'm, I'm assuming we're all pretty aware, um, just how prevalent internet pornography is. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I would just assume we, we all kind of know, but we haven't really had that discussion collectively together, large group setting from the front, from your pastors. And I, I think just really for me, I would, you know, just echo everything Charlie said about how we have such a desire. And this conversation started probably over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was this realization like, hey, this is everywhere. It's affecting so many people, and we know how much it robs, and we want people to experience the freedom of Christ. And if, if, they, if we can't talk about this in the church with, with, our, with our pastors, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, like where, where are people supposed to go to talk about what's going on maybe in, in the corners and fringes of our lives um, that we desperately probably want people to know about but are also terrified if somebody does know about it? Uh, so that's been a, a big motivator for me mm -hmm. in, in wanting to get to this point with you guys this morning. So when you think about 
pervasiveness. And, and we, we talk about that in, in kind of larger terms, like how, how common, how, how frequent, what is the pervasiveness of, of access and, and even pornography um, and, and that sort of driven sexual desires? Would, would we say, um, you know, how, how would you help us capture the reality of how prevalent it is in, in our day and age? Yeah, and like I said, I feel like we all, we all know it's out there, but um, I think just due to the fact that I, I've been in student ministry for 11 years, um, I've looked at a lot of the statistics and, I, and I've read studies and stuff on it. And so if you aren't aware, I, I can just kind of uh, help get us on the same page as to this, maybe the scope of some of the issues we're facing both as individuals and as a society. Um, so, so really, I mean, pornography is not new. Uh, depictions of sex acts go way back. Um, in fact, you know, one of the things, you know, it occurred to me um, – at one point, me and my wife were in Italy. We got to go through Pompeii. If you've ever been to Pompeii, there's actually a brothel you can go through, and on the walls are depicted sex acts. And so this is not new to humanity, but there has been some things that have kind of changed the game for us. Hmm. And I'll say early 2000s, um, when uh, high-speed internet came into all of our homes, like I don't think anybody realized kind of the Pandora's box that unlocked for us as people and how quickly uh, Satan and darkness took advantage of a cool thing to have internet and email and be able to connect all over the world. And uh, almost immediately, uh, pornography filled that gap really quick. So that that happened in the early 2000s. And then I would say that even took another massive leap in uh, 2007, 2008, when the iPhone came out. Mm. So not not only was it in our homes, maybe you had a desktop computer, maybe it was in a a family communal room, maybe it was in your own room, uh, but... From smartphones on, whether you that has been a problem or not, we have all had access to pornography riding around in our pockets mm-hmm. for the better part of a decade and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if if you haven't looked at the stats, it's it's kind of staggering. And so, this isn't to fear monger. This isn't to shame. This mm-hmm. is to kind of just get us all on on the same uh, place. So, um, a, a couple internet studies uh, in 2019 found that. Um, Adult sites, uh, pornographic sites, are visited uh, more than, let me get this right, Twitter, Netflix, Instagram, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. So um, that's how prevalent it is. Uh, the largest uh, adult site that's been on the Internet for a while, um, it, it releases a lot of its own statistics, which is kind of fascinating for just where we are as a culture. Um, but in 2019, uh, that single site uh, had 42 billion visitors in 39 billion searches. So that kind of breaks down to there was 115 million searches per day, 5 million per hour, 80,000 per minute. So so hopefully we can just all agree, like the scope of, of this issue we're facing together, and I want to continue to emphasize we're in this together. This is not um, for uh, just the strugglers. Uh, hopefully we should all care. And maybe maybe you're in this place and you're like, hey, pornography has not ever touched my life. I would be surprised but maybe if that's you, just know someone you love, it has touched their life. Hmm. So hopefully we can all uh, just realize we need to be in on this together as a church family. And one, one of the things that's, um, um, I guess, somewhat more alarming, but just a reality that we live in currently with the prevalence, um, it was typically always seen as, as a male problem. Um, you know, God, God's wired us a bit more visual. Um, that's just something we would probably would have thought as a stereotype that hmm. this is a guy's problem. Uh, with the prevalence and with the age of exposure going down, uh, especially for even pre-teens at this point, because uh, you can also see that um, how many kids do you see walking around with a smartphone? And so maybe even their parent is on top of digital things. But like I said, if, you're, if the children have friends who have a smartphone, 
more than likely they've been shown something at some point. So that's the average age is around 11 that kids have seen some form of pornography. Um, Along with that, um, increasingly, um, there are more and more females who report issues with maybe even even feeling addicted to pornography. And so um, that same study in 2019 of those uh, 42 billion visitors to that one pornographic website, uh, 32% of those were were females. Mm -hmm. And so collectively, this is a problem for all of us. Um, it, it does something to our brains, just like even addiction to our phones outside of pornography. Uh, the way our brains receive stimulus in the images that we can receive are setting off um, kind of an overload on our circuitry mm-hmm. that can be extremely addictive, and it's kind of hijacking uh, some of the natural things God has given us and, and twisted that and, and really mm-hmm. robbing a lot of people. And so this is a, a very widespread issue that's facing our entire church family. Yeah, and I think that's helpful. So when we talk about that, what we're saying is that although it's, it's pervasive and it's prevalent, the, the real challenge is that it's, it's even fairly normalized, right? In the context of our culture, there's a sense in which it feels like um, kind of just a, a, a normal way to comfort or to deal with stress or challenges in the context of life. It's kind of a go-to. And so part of the conversation when we're talking about restoring one another gently and wrestling with these things is, is also dealing with, well, okay, let's, as basic and as simple as we can, what's the cost associated with its prevalence in the context of our world? So you, you, you look at pornography, you see those things, we, look, we, we, we have access to this stuff. What's really the impact of those things? And so uh, that is a huge, large discussion um, and so uh, I want to give a couple that have really come to my mind biblically that I think are, are framing how we approach these things. And I'd love for your thoughts on this, too. But, but here's a couple that I think really tend to be why it's so damaging and, and even really so captivating. Uh, pornography creates the notion that people are used to meet personal needs. Here's how it happens, right? There's a sense in which you're able to see an image on a screen. In the context of those things, your desires are ignited for those things. They provide an act. There's an object of your affections, and then you can turn the screen off. It it ends up shaping a reality of how we expect interactions with individuals to be more about an object of meeting our desires than really a a holistic aspect of relationship. So what we've seen is that relationship and the, the value and health of a relationship gets diminished to just a transactional reality of providing uh, some level of unmet need with someone else. Uh, pornography gives voice to our selfishness. <laughs> it convinces us that we can meet our own needs and our own desires. Really what it does is it places us in a position where we get to be our own God. I have a desire, I meet that desire, and I move on. And in the process of those things, what ends up happening is we find ourselves really sensing that uh, God's provision and moving us and even telling ourselves no to the flesh becomes really difficult because we're so used to meeting the needs of the flesh. And so we become that which is the source of our own provision versus the reality of how God is providing for us in innumerable ways even when we have desires that, for, for many of us, uh, they're not healthy ways to meet. And so we're, we're seeking God to even uh, allow our, uh, and to tell our flesh no, um, because there's something better. And that's ultimately the reality, is there's something better. That's what the Bible and the God would always want to give us, is there's, there's something more and something better than what we're experiencing. The third one is, is, I think pornography changes how we view sex. 
Um, it leads to deeper desires. So, so some of the studies, I'm not going to go into it tons, but one of the challenges is that uh, entry into pornography creates a level of novelty, and that novelty becomes somewhat insatiable, so things, it tends to get amplified. So you move into just something that seems simple off the bat, and then those desires for other things and for more novel things gets greater, and it, the desires and the hunger and the appetite gets larger. And so it creates confusion, ultimately, in how we relate to people holistically. So we can walk around and see others, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, or even people in the world outside. And, and as we do that, sometimes we, we see them through the lenses of our own sexuality. And we're thinking, uh, the Bible would call it lust, but thinking thoughts about individuals who are created in the image of God. And, but, but how we're approaching them is really uh, from more of a physical, sexual uh, encounter more than we are from the holistic reality of God's design and purpose for their life and, and how uh, they're, they're called to function in this world. And so there's just a challenge that I think it, it affects really even just out, relationships even outside of husband and a wife um, and, and begins to reshape those things. Would you add anything else to that as you think about some of the dangers or dis- destructive aspects of it? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's so sinister because I don't think anybody probably had that initial encounter thinking like, oh, I'm going to put myself in the place of God and decide right. sure. how this is supposed to work. But it, that's why it is so sinister. And especially, you know, if you, if you, you think about uh, children mm-hmm. being exposed and not being able to process, but even as adults, it's a very powerful, a p- very powerful thing because God mm-hmm. gave us this hardwiring for a unique purpose to be united with our spouse. And, and it's just getting hijacked in a way that's so incredibly destructive. And so it is, it is interesting. I, I like to think of things in the macro. You see the big studies, and not to make it less individualistic because it does harm us individually. But you see a lot of, you know, now that we're like 20 years in to online pornography, which isn't just image, you know, it's video, it's, it's streaming, it's all of those things. And, uh, you know, you would, you would find some psychologists that say that it only presents a problem in like a moral-based culture. And so Christians report negative feelings about pornography because we heap shame on each other for having a standard. Mm-hmm. But more and more, even outside of just Christian circles, you're getting more and more organizations and individuals, um, not from a moral, God said this is good, not good, but just from a like living life, like this has been incredibly destructive, including you, you can find more and more testimonials for, for guys that more my generation that grew up their whole life with access to online pornography that are hitting the 20s. And their brain has been so overloaded with stimulus that they're suffering erectile dysfunction in their 20s. And so you get more and more people saying, like, porn is destructive, not because I have a Christian belief system, but because that's what I lived out. It promised me pleasure. It promised me, um, you know, unlimited access to sex and what has resulted and robbed me of of actually being able to be intimate with another human being at all. Mm -hmm. And so it's been incredibly destructive. Um, I, I would say in my time as, as a youth pastor w- within uh, our Christian culture and within if you had parents who tried to teach moral boundaries and which are good and for your good, uh, I, w- I would say I haven't encountered a bigger source of shame mm. uh, for anybody in my generation, especially guys, and I would say more and more girls, uh, than, than pornography. Um, and so seeing the amount of joy it has robbed from people mm-hmm burdens my heart, mm-hmm. um, seeing how destructive it has been in terms of interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, God wired us for connection, and this is killing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually interesting. They're saying uh, that the number of teen pregnancies are going down, 
and the age that um, teenagers are actually engaging in sex is going up. And at first, like, oh, those are some good numbers. But actually, it's the result of pornography that teenagers aren't actually even talking to each other anymore. And so it's kind of a weird statistic, but it, pornography has had such effect. And you can even dig into um, some larger uh, country studies in, in places like Japan that are experiencing like marriages just aren't happening and relationships just aren't happening because so many people are addicted to online pornography and living in a v- virtual world that's overloading their brain with stimulus mm-hmm. that the real world can't match, but it's just robbing mm-hmm. and taking so much away. And that's, that's how all sin operates, not mm-hmm. just this sin, but right. you think about anything with you know alcohol or substance abuse, you know, it's mm-hmm. that first little taste, mm-hmm. and then you just need more and more and more until you can't really function the way God designed you to function. And so I, I think it's taken uh, an enormous toll. And that's not even getting into the, the relational turmoil of uh, spouses and, you know, parents to kids and all those interactions on mm-hmm. some of this stuff leaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that's one of the larger discussions that, that we'll have down the road is also just the, you know, like we, we have new vocabulary in, in my generation that I never thought we'd have. And so we, we went generations ago when we talked about slavery and now we've moved into talking about that same sort of aspect of slavery that's taking place in our day and age. And, and pornography has, has ignited that reality of, of sex slavery and sex trafficking that are taking place. And so, you know, we're, we're thinking about um, men and women, sons and daughters, girls and boys that are, again, being leveraged for objects of gratification based on selfish desires. And so the, the significant reality of why we want to step into this conversation is because uh, I think for many, we feel powerless against it. Um, it's such a normal aspect of our culture. It's hard to know even how to compete against it. And so we find ourselves wondering if there's really any answer but just trying to lessen our attention to it, but never really finding freedom from it. And so we would want to communicate that the, the, the word, the scriptures, God's truth gives us uh, the reality that God does set captives free. He does break chains. These are things in which we as a body of believers can move forward from and confess uh, the reality of, of what we're hoping the Lord to do in those regards. Um, so, so let's move it down then a little bit just to to some of the reality, uh, to, to how we, we relate to it, some of our story with regards to how this is uh, the genesis of, of how God has worked in each of our lives uh, to, to, to move us to, to being able to be up here this morning and testify of God's grace. Yeah, so I mentioned, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk with young men and, and young women just being a student pastor. And I feel like I've had the, uh, the talk with teenage guys so many times, you know, like, hey, let's, let's take a moment to talk about pornography and tried to kick that door open as wide as possible. Like, please come talk to me about this because even if you're telling me this isn't a problem, I'm just kind of assuming it is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so m- my kind of blanket assumption is that on some level, this is affecting most people. And I know that because it's affected me. Um, and so, you know, just kind of where this kind of started for me uh, was really fifth or sixth grade. Um, and I just, I want to set the stage a little bit. You know, I've, I've shared a lot. I'm, I'm from a pastor's family. So I, I have very godly parents who led me in the truth, who prayed over me my whole life, um, who taught me the Bible from a young age. Um, in sixth grade, I was homeschooled. Uh, I, w- I would say I was kind of sheltered. Uh, I had never had a, a, a sexual experience. There was nothing that it, that level of brokenness had not entered into my past. And I really couldn't tell you a reason why other than Satan planting some seeds in my life to try to sow destruction. 
But, but in sixth grade, I looked up internet pornography. Um, we didn't even have high-speed internet. It was still dial-up in my house. Um, but really, uh, Satan planted some roots in my life that um, really had a, had a dramatic impact on me and immediately introduced that idea of shame in a way I'd never felt it up to that point in my life and has had a, a huge impact on my life. And so when, when I've talked to young men, it's like, look, I know this is a problem. Please talk to me about it because this has been my problem too. And I, I want you to know uh, that there is hope, there is freedom, there is forgiveness, that sense of shame that God did not create us for. If you think back to the origins of creation, they had known no shame until sin entered in. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we were made for is that closeness and connection. And I know that feeling that the minute I clicked on something, uh, that fear, that shame, that feeling like I could not bring it to my parents and that hiddenness that is so prevalent, especially with sexual sin, mm-hmm. I think specifically with pornography, uh, it, it snuck into my life at a very young age. So I'm, so that's one of the reasons I'm so motivated to talk about this mm-hmm. is because I've, uh, I've, I've felt the destructiveness mm-hmm. and, and I want people to experience the freedom as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my story would be a little bit different, although it, it looks like Jared and I are close to the same age. I, I've aged well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Um, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a gen- our, our generation. <laughs> yeah, that's our generation. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, so I, I, I grew up in a non-Christian home. My story's a bit different. Um, and, and I grew up in, in a home where I had access to it through, through my dad. Uh, so between the ages of 10 and 11, uh, I found his magazines. Um, and so in the process of that, uh, well, I talk about it being normalized in our culture. It was a normal experience in my home. Now, they weren't out on the coffee table, I, I, I mind you, but um, I knew where they were, and they were pretty easy to find. Um, had never had the birds and the bees talk. <laughs> That's, uh, that dates me. I know. They don't even talk about that anymore. Um, so, so my sex education came through those magazines. It, it framed how I viewed people, how I viewed what to expect down the road. Now, I, I like Jared, I had never had a, a sexual experience grateful for God's mercy that, that um, even uh, when, when Aaron and I got married, we, we were both virgins when we got married, and so God was just merciful in those things. But there was a shaping of some of those things that were taking place in, in my own journey. And so uh, from, from the ages of 10 and 11, being exposed to those things and kind of igniting a, a fleshly response of what those things look like, um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. So you can imagine, right, being framed early on in my own mental and emotional development. Um, and now, you know, I come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what, what I would want you to hear. If anything sticks with you today, here's my experience. I found forgiveness in Christ, but I didn't find freedom yet. I knew that I was forgiven by Christ. I knew that he had worked in my life and that, that shame and that guilt that I don't know why I felt because it was sort of normalized in my experience. Um, became now a fight and I didn't realize that that would be the case I thought I'm going to come to faith in Jesus I'm done this is good easy finished old self gone new self I mean I've read those passages and so from the age of 16 when I when I was in high school it became this 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 tearing inside this war that took place inside of me uh in a couple of different ways um one is that in my home where I was being influenced it was okay in my Christian sphere, it was not okay. So I had multiple different voices, and then I had my own voice, which was the loudest, of just feeling terrible. Just the, the shame of what this meant and feeling like I, 
I have to be not only the worst person in the world, but I have to be like so different that, that there's no way that I could talk to anyone about these things, right? I talk to my family, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's normal. You talk to your Christian friends when you're just barely a brand new Christian, and you don't know what response you're going to get, and so what do you do? You don't talk. <laughs> I mean, that was my journey. The, the freedom began to come as I was discipled in my early college experience by a guy in Campus Crusade for Christ. He was pouring into me, and I remember that we weren't talking about this specific subject all the time, but what we were talking about is how the Word of God grants us growth and freedom and maturity, and there was just this level of comfort of finding departure from my sin because what was happening is my, my affections and longings were being replaced for other good, godly, and better things. Um, but those were the, some of the discussions and the challenges of, of how it reframes and, and just some of the destructiveness that takes place in the context of, of our own journey. And so we don't come to you as pastors saying, you guys need to get your act together. This shouldn't be a struggle. We come alongside you as those who are fellow strollers who've walked through and seen what God can do and providing the avenues of freedom and, and hope that's a part of that. First Corinthians chapter 1, I think, gives us a great indication. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And he says this, And God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any afflictions. I think that's the reason why Jared and I feel so motivated, is that we know the power, and we've personally experienced the power of the gospel. And um, we, we want to provide uh, a level of um, comfort journeying alongside you with those things. I mean, how else would you uh, speak to that? I think more than anything, I, I think the word freedom just encompasses it. Mm-hmm. You know, freedom to, to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to, to be the end of the fixer-up story. That's right. what I used to struggle with. Mm-hmm. It, it can be ongoing. Um, I remember hearing a pastor say, not just in regard to this, but in sin in general, like if you're struggling, good. You know who doesn't struggle? Dead people. Mm. So the, the fact if we have a struggle, a turmoil, a pull in different directions, that's, that's a sign of the spirit working in our lives. Mm. So that's a good thing uh, to struggle. Um, and, I, and I think for me, you know, I, one of the things I would just hate for anybody to walk away with is like, okay, Charlie and Jared, that happened when they were kids. I didn't start till I was an adult, so that makes me worse. Mm-hmm. So in, any any way that your story has played out, mm-hmm. just know that there's freedom to struggle here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I, I like to point that out. Like, I grew up in a Christian household. He grew up in a non-Christian household. Mm-hmm. Like, sin can get any of us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so r- regardless how it might have snuck into your life or had an impact on your life, uh, j- just know, like, you're, you're not on your own, for one. I love that the Bible even tells us that. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. So I think that's one of the biggest things is like, okay, I can't share my struggle because it's just me. That's a lie. Mm. We're not that unique as people. Mm. And so um, just know, like, and and that's what is always so freeing. Um, Every time I've been with somebody who felt, you know, finally got pushed to the point where they confessed some sin, maybe in a group, maybe in a home group, whatever it might be, there's always like three or four other people. It's like, oh, yeah. And there is that commonality to, to our struggle that, like, this is not new. It, it is not surprising to mm-hmm. God. Um, like, I, I don't think Internet pornography caught the Holy Spirit off guard um, in regards to our culture. Mm-hmm. And so just know, regardless of where you stand currently mm-hmm. or how this has impacted your personal journey, whatever your story is, 
like there there is safety here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you got you got to know that mm. um, more than more than anything else. Just because your story sounds slightly different than ours, does that doesn't mean you're the outlier that nobody's going to accept that. Mm-hmm. Like we want you to know that there's safety. Right, and and shame is an enemy of freedom. It just is, and we don't want you to feel ashamed or embarrassed. We want you to know the restorative, regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that we count it a privilege and an honor to to be invited into those moments as we journey together. So we're going to lay out a roadmap as we kind of finish up our time this morning of where we're going with this so that you're clear and and each of us understand kind of how God has called us to take this journey. In doing that, though, one of the things that we want to put up on the screen is just the reality of how. Like how, how... for someone who might be struggling, how would they be able to talk to us? And my door is always open. Jared's door is always open. We're going to offer prayer at the end of the service. So all of those things are possible. But we realize also how shaming and embarrassing it feels and how we are drawn away from those moments. And so we've developed a website. If you have questions or concerns, it's not a website. It's an email address that I only have access to. And it's freedom at psbible.com. We want you to write us. If somehow in some way there is something going on that you are wrestling with, um, we want you to reach out. Um, another resource that we've put together, if you don't have a Right Now Media account, it's free. We have uh, a QR code in the back on the Connect desk. We've put together on the side, there's a, a link that says Park Springs Bible Church. We've put material together in that link that daily has talked about different people that have walked through the struggles with pornography and how God has brought the redemption, that there's resources available to just continue to fill your life with the truth and hear the stories of how God has dramatically transformed people's lives in the context of of serious uh, connections and, and addictions to pornography. So those are the things that we wanted to put in place to allow anyone in the context of our body that we're called to help shepherd that we would say we want to count it a privilege to walk through this with you. So let's let's walk through the next five weeks. Like where are we going roadmap wise and taking our body through this journey together? Yeah, well, we wanted to begin this morning with a conversation. And so we still have some some time ahead of us. And so as kind of the next couple of weeks play, uh, play out, it'll, it'll be different. It'll be more sermon. Uh, so, so next week, uh, Charlie's going to just jump into what what in our brokenness draws us to pornography. Like, why does it have such a significant hold? And I think that's part of, you know, what's been taboo. We talk about that it is an issue, but like, what in our heart, like, why do we desire it? Why does it have such a pull on us as people? Like, what what has been kind of hijacked in our heart? So we're going to talk about, you know, why do we go to it? Why do we turn to it? Um, uh, the following week, I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity to talk a little bit more about the fight. You know, get really practical in, in some of the ways we can be strategic and purposeful in our life, you know. Um, really rely on, on, on the book of Proverbs that just has that practical wisdom on how we can both renew our mind but also set safeguards in our life to to steer clear. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us, you know, in regards to sexual sin, it says flee it. Mm-hmm. You know, it says resist the devil, stand strong. Sexual sin, flee it. Mm-hmm. And so we need we need to take seriously the word of God. And so we're going to get really practical on um, on how we can take a stand and fight and hopefully stand in the gap for each other as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, what are you going to jump into after then that? Then we're moving for the next three weeks. One of the things when you talk about this conversation, we tend to talk about all of the negative components to it. And so what we want to do in the next three weeks is we, we want to embed hope in every aspect of our time together over the next five weeks. But we want to talk about God's design, right? Healthy relationships, 
healthy marriage, how we think about interactions with one another, even uh, relationships outside of marriage, how we think about those areas in which God has designed things perfectly that we get a chance to step into and enjoy the reality of what he's calling us to. Um, And so that's the next two weeks is the, the healthy perspective of things. And the last week for uh, all of the crazies, the Freedom at PS Bible will also be a place that you can uh, offer questions and things that you've wrestled with and concerns that you have about how we think about this issue specifically. And so the final week, Jared and I will be back up here and we're going to answer some of those questions and just wrestle together with the truth of what God is calling us to and, and how we can journey together through those things. Yeah, so we just wanted y'all to know where we're going. Uh, we think these are very important conversations. We invite you to come for them and to, to invite friends. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just uh, Christians that are worried about this issue. Like I said, the, there's a growing cultural narrative um, that's feeling negative about the effects of pornography. And so uh, invite friends, invite people in. Like everybody needs freedom from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think for me, as you know, we wrap up our time, um, one, of, one of the biggest things I would just advocate for is in, in all the time I, I've been helping with people and even in my own life and talking with people, just know, in case some, some lines are already kind of being sown in your heart, I, I don't know someone who has a freedom story for this that doesn't involve other people. Mm. I, I don't think this is something we win if we keep it secret. Mm. I, I don't think this is something you can manage on your own, even with the resources we offer and even hearing this talk this morning. If it's still kind of in your head like, okay, that was good. Now I'll go back and now I'll be good. Um, I, I don't know that story. I don't know a story of getting free from this that doesn't involve having other people in your life that know what's going on that you are open and honest with. And that's, um, that, that would be my encouragement. Like we, we have to drag this into the light and that involves our church and our body. Mm-hmm. And cause that's what Jesus talks about in James chapter five. It talks about confessing our sins to one another mm-hmm. so that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. Sin loses its power when it's drug into the light. And I think that's the reason Jared and I shared a bit of our story this morning is I know that part of the freedom came for me as I was being discipled. But as the conversation was started and someone else shared their story, it felt a bit safer. Uh, So I didn't feel like I was the guy on the outside trying to figure this stuff out. And we've lived in a culture where we've seen uh, people that we incredibly respect and that we love that have been walking through uh, hidden sexual brokenness and kept it hidden and it's destroyed their ministries. I mean, we look at Ravi Zacharias and all of the things that took place in the context of those things, and he's just an example. But, but when it's hidden, it has power. When it's out in the open and there's a level of grace and mercy that's dispensed on each of our lives and we're journeying together, it, it, it tends to become powerless um, because the Spirit of God is what uh, breaks those chains and allows power. So let me just finish with with a thought a a verse uh, Colossians chapter 2 starting in verse 6 says this um, and then we're going to turn to communion and and it's appropriate today uh, of of many days to be able to share communion together because communion does serve as the reminder right the reminder that we have a savior who sets captives free who has freed us that the power and the identity that sin wants to tell us we are 
um, is, is not true. It's a lie. The truth of who Christ tells us we are is true. And we need that reminder to say we are a forgiven people. We are a loved people. We are adopted as, as sons and daughters of the king. And so we can find ourselves experiencing a truth and a grace and an identity. Because I've had those Genesis 2 moments. Like, I understand why Adam hid. I know why he covered himself, right? I mean, I know that any of those things getting found out feels destabilizing and destructive. And yet, what did God do? Adam, where are you? Looking for you, draws him, deals with those things, still reinforces relationship. Here's what it says in Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition or according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head and all rule and authority. In him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. The resurrection power to raise Jesus from the dead lives inside of us and grants us power from the power of sexual sin and pornography. Uh, let, let me pray for us and, and set up our time together with communion.